0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships— The ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
1: The following is a presentation of the SpeedSport Podcast Network. Mike Wallace doesn't have all that much driving experience. For the last three or four years, he's put in his dues in this business. Mike Wallace comes down to the line. He'll pick up the win. It's fast car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. It's the battles for the lead. Mike Wallace gets by Jason Leffler. Mike Wallace comes off turn number four. A great move in that corner. He comes to the line and will win. From grassroots to the top of the racing world. Hear the stories of NASCAR's biggest names and how they made it all the way.
2: Who was Tony Stewart before he was Tony Stewart?
1: I could barely make enough money to pay attention, let alone to try to (laughs) survive. So, I mean, I was doing it all myself. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Mike Wallace and Jeff Kent. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace, part of the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourselves in Pull those belts tight, and we'll take you on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything, everything in between. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair, Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. Today, Mike, we're going to blind you with science. You ready? Carbon fiber. Several advantages. High stiffness, high strength, high strength-to-weight ratio, high chemical resistance. I used to work with people who had that. High temperature tolerance and low thermal expansion. Can you believe that? These properties have made carbon fiber very popular in aerospace, civil engineering, military, and motorsports. And other competitive sports, too, such as the U.S. bobsled team. Uh, today's guest, the founder of DeBoTech Tech Inc. in 1998. He's a Mechanical and Aerospace Hall of Fame inductee from North Carolina State University. Ladies and gentlemen, Hans DeBoe. Welcome to the podcast. Say hi to Mike Wallace. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I appreciate you boys. You well, betcha. we're glad
2: you took the time. I mean, we understand you've had, you're have you sitting down on the beach enjoying yourself and uh, took
1: enough time for, the, for this There's only show. so much sun you can take, though. You know what I mean? So you have to take a break perfect yeah do an hour here and then you're back to the beach yeah well so we don't want to take his time too much so
2: hans we've been buddies for years we've known each other we played a little golf drank a few beers together but i need the background of hans when when did you first remember you had any interest in in the industry that you're in now or how did you get in this industry
3: well, it's kind of a unique story, to say the least. I uh, When I graduated, as mentioned, Jeff said, I graduated from NC State University. And when I uh, graduated, I went to Europe, and I actually lived in Europe for a year in Germany, designing and manufacturing plastics machinery. My father always wanted to be a sailor. He wanted to go sailing around the world, and so he um, went to the Miami Boat Show. He met a a company owner for a company called Sparcraft and they start talking about their kids and family and whatnot. And my father told them about uh, myself and said that I'd be coming back from Europe and they were always in the need for engineers. So when I returned home into the United States, I was home five, six days and got a job working with Sparcraft designing and manufacturing sailboat spars for sailboat racing boots all over the world. They wanted to start a carbon fiber division, again, as Jeff mentioned, with the strength to weight, lightweight, performance additives that carbon fiber produces. There was a big uh, push to do that in the sailing industry. So I worked in the sailing industry, designing sailboat spars, and we built carbon fiber. I helped develop the only process in the world to build continuous fiber, one-piece, hollow sailboat spars. And we produced racing and sailboat spars for America's Cup, Dennis Conner, and those of the like for many, many years. And then I started meeting friends of mine that lived in the area of Mooresville. Of course, Mooresville, we all know Race USA. And um, I you know, met people like Greg Fernelli ended up being my neighbor right across the street from my father. So when I moved home, Greg was my next door neighbor. And, of course, if anybody knows Greg Fernelli, he's owned Stock Car Steel at SRI, which is also a big supplier in the NASCAR. So from meeting all those people, um, I obviously met a lot of friends in the NASCAR market. And one of the main gentlemen was Rex Stump. Rex Stump was a chassis engineer for Hendrick Motorsports. And he lived a few doors down from me in the neighborhood. And he said, you know, Hendrick had a lot of interest in bringing carbon fiber into the into the realm of NASCAR racing. So I had the idea that, you know, since we're building these carbon fiber sailboat spars and we have a lot of this extra material, um, why not take some of this leftover material, build some smaller opponent race car parts for NASCAR? I actually offered the uh, idea to my um, company and they thought it was a great idea. They were going to put me in charge of the division and so on and so forth and a week later the owners of the company split and the sons that were running it at the time one of them was really behind wanting to do the program of course they left and moved back to South Africa and when they moved back they lost the interest so I thought it was still a good idea so there I started the Bowtech in the garage of my house in Cornelius North Carolina yeah. and Rex told me said uh if you build some applicable parts to NASCAR, um, I'll take you in and introduce you to the crew chiefs. My first crew chief I ever met was Ray Evernham. Ray Evernham said it was the best work he'd ever seen. He said, get them started. And that's how I got started NASCAR, and I've never looked back.
1: When you say you, you started making parts for, um, uh, for race cars, NASCAR, what, what were those parts? I mean, exactly what were you making?
3: So, one of the first ones, there was an interest in a helmet cooling system, so to help cool the drivers. So, we made a heat exchanger unit, which was a carbon fiber case that housed the cooling equipment. They're very popular today, and I worked with a couple other gentlemen in doing some helmet cooling stuff. The other performance additive that, that was big in NASCAR was air boxes. So, airflow going into, at that time, they used carburetors. So, the airflow going into the carburetor was very critical. So, I started building things in nature for performance, uh, driver comfort. Um, I had done a carbon driver stick shifter at one because, obviously, one of the things in NASCAR, you had a metal shifter, you had high heat at your hand, and drivers would actually burn their hands trying to shift gears. Jimmy Johnson years ago, and he ran it in the car. And then uh, one day NASCAR saw it and said, oh, you can't run that. Made him take it out of his car because um, they just really didn't understand carbon fiber at the time.
2: So, so carbon has been around for, for quite a while in racing. But I want to back your story up, on just for a moment and fast forward again quickly. So you you graduated from the NC State and then you went to Europe. Why did you go to Europe? What, would that, what was over there that intrigued you for, for a year or so?
3: Well, my father was a textile engineer, worked for some large companies, worked for a big one in Charlotte called American Bar Mag, and his relationships were with German manufacturers. This was all in the PVC calendar line, uh, making PVC films for the automotive industry. So it was kind of like an opportunity to have a a real in-depth internship working. I mean, I actually worked. I had a job. They paid me. Uh, I had to show up every day, and I started design and plastics machinery, and then I went to work for a company, a neighboring company, and actually built the equipment on the floor for an American company that ran these PVC film lines in Chester, Virginia, called the Sullivan Corporation. So uh, it kind of, I mean, I didn't know the language at the time, and I learned German while I was there and then i pseudo became a kind of liaison between the american company of of sullivan and the german uh, manufacturing firm so it just kind of panned out that it was more engineering experience than anything to do with composites, but it taught me so much on how business was run, how manufacturing was performed. I mean, German manufacturing is is obviously very meticulous, so it taught me a lot of uh, background foundations for helping me develop and build my business.
2: Let me answer that for me. You just made a comment there and said German engineering is so meticulous and I, uh, you hear that phrase like in a BMW or some car. I, is other countries, I mean, is, is their engineering and manufacturing way better than others? Or is there a preciseness that goes along with countries and engineers?
3: Well, I think the uh, engineering side, obviously, the United States and, you know, our, our universities and things, we put out a lot of very intelligent, brilliant Engineers. You mentioned earlier that I was inducted into the Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering Hall of Fame in 2015 at NC State. And what was really unique about that event is they did that from graduates um, from actually back quite a few years, like all the way back to 1950 some, the first run at the induction, they did uh, a, a graduate from like each year, every other year, all the way up at that time to about 98. So there were out of 15,000 or so applicants for the uh, for the Hall of Fame, they inducted 41. And when I went to that event, Um, because I was selected for my year of graduation. And when I went to that event, I got to meet all these other engineers. I mean, and what was really neat, Mike, is a lot of these guys were engineers. They worked on the Saturn V rocket program. You know, they worked on the space shuttle program and laser tracking this and defense that. And so it was really unique. So the original part of your question is, I think there's great engineers that come out of all the countries, I think the execution of how their manufacturing is presented and implemented and produced is what really sets the bar high. I mean, when I worked in the German manufacturing plant, I mean that you could eat off the floor. I mean, everything had a place, everything was in its place. It was not it was not this type of garage shop mentality. It was very i's dotted t's crossed everything was implemented to the t as cleanliness organized and very set forth in its processes so i think that has a lot to do with it
2: okay i guess sometimes you hear that phrase and jeff i just i've always didn't know if there was always a difference or not but absolutely yeah so getting back to the race world and that's what our show covers a lot and a lot of you know. All the fans, owners, drivers listen to our show, and they say they all learn a little something about all well, our. They're going to learn something today, but yeah, friend, I can tell you that. <laughs> so Rex Stump, which is a a pretty famous name in, in internally in the race world, right? uh hans i mean i remember rex from penske racing then he went over to hendrick so he's uh he's one of those he was
3: originally a gm chassis engineer came from gm when he came down here to get into the nascar world and an awesome dude rex is you can't find many better than than a a gentleman like rex stump and the fact that he and i were both gear heads and car guys and boat guys and you know, we helped each other. He had boats. We worked on his, he had a big go fast fountain and big old 454s in it, man. We be late night working in his garage, working on his boat. We just became really good friends. I mean, like you and I are, Mike, you share similar interests and it's pretty easy to get along with cool people.
2: Yeah. Without, without a doubt. So once Rex opened that door and Jeff already asked you some of the items you built for the racing world and there were some You know the air boxes were the famous ones i remember those sit on top of the carburetor go to the the cal area so how did that business progress and because i know you got and you can explain to us how and what more items you got we got a few minutes in this segment then we'll jump to the next but uh how did you just progress through that was it just through rex's Knowledge him suggesting ideas, or didn't you get the engineering side of you came out and goes, Look, I got this whole race car I can start building parts for?
3: Well, that's part of it because I did bring a lot to develop. and and that's the thing, as an engineer, you start to break down and see where they have limitations, and then you try to fix those limitations. One of the big areas that I made a huge change in what was consistently being done was most people were building brake ducts, the ones that go behind the rotor and over the caliper, um, that feed air into the uh, brake cooling systems. Um, they were made, a lot of them were all hand fabricated by very talented individuals, right? I mean, all these guys that worked in NASCAR and, and the fact that they were very technically advanced fabricators using English wheels and things and hammering out and building brake ducts out of aluminum. The problem was it would take a guy like a Pete Bingle, you know, two days to build, you know, a couple few sets of brake ducts where in the carbon fiber world, you use a mold. So once the molds develop, you can spit the parts out pretty consistently and repeatedly every day so i brought in some alternative materials which was using high temp resin systems because obviously in the brake cooling area next to a rotor and the caliper you're seeing 1800 degrees fahrenheit temperature so you've got to you've got to have a high temp resin system so it doesn't break down some of the early versions that other manufacturers were bringing into the mix were using wet laminated everyday epoxy resin systems and they were catching fire. And I bet if you remember in the day, Mike, you'd have a lot of teams coming in and their front ends, front wheels would be on fire and it'd be the brake ducts catching fire from the high heat. So and that I happened in Martinsville
2: quite a few times, Jeff. You remember saying that? Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Not so much anymore. Is
1: that because of the carbon fiber? Well,
3: because more of the high temp resin system. So if you use a higher temperature resin system, it can withstand it. It gets what they call a TG. It's the thermal glass transition temperature of the material, which means it is its highest sustainable heat level that it can withstand without deforming. Um, So we brought in with my material supplier a high end, You know, high-temperature resin system, and as long as it had airflow going through the brake duct, it could compensate for that real high-heat environment and, again, then not have fires. The other thing that we did is it was always a real pain at the beginning of a race because when they qualified or practiced, they never had all the hoses and the front-end ductwork hooked up, and these brake ducts, to take them off, you basically had to bust the bottom ball joint loose and and, uh, take the whole front end apart just to get the damn brake duct off so, hey Hans, decided, hold, yeah. hold
2: that thought right there. Busting a ball joint loose. Jeff's going to take us we're to gonna break we're, and we come right back.
1: We're going to hit the brakes right here. See what I did All there, right. Mike? <laughs> we're talking to Hans Deboe, founder of Deboe Tech Inc. I, I find talking to engineers very incredibly interesting. They just have so much knowledge. You know what I mean? You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Waddles on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at Gmail.com. We're talking science. Hans Debo, founder of Debo Tech Inc. And once again, here's Mike Wallace.
2: Well, Hans, we got we took a perfect break. We were pumping the brakes at the moment, and you were talking about how the teams, back in the day, they wouldn't have everything all together, And so take it from there.
3: So with the original design of spindle ducts is what they're called, they were all one piece. So to install these or uninstall these, they would have to basically take the whole front end loose. They'd have to take the lower control arm loose, pull the strut out, and out of the way so they could get to access these brake ducts. Well, I had an idea, we might as well make it simpler. Let's make it a two-piece design. So that way they didn't have to take apart the front end, the whole scoop section in the back of the caliper could stay in place during practice, during qualifying, whatever. Because a lot of times, Mike, as you know, in qualifying, they will tape up the front end to get less aero drag and not worry about the brake cooling because they're only out there for basically three laps, two laps at speed. So, then when they would come in and get ready for the race, they'd untape the front end, hook up their uh, br- their brake cooling fans and hoses, add the front end, which would be a three- or a two-port opening that bolted to the front of the caliper duct, and it made it more modular. So, it made it more user-friendly, made it uh, perform better. They could not spend as much time in the garage preparing for the race. And then, obviously, in race time, it added all the cooling it needed to to the brakes. And we worked with a lot of the teams and developed multiple different designs. Um, That was the unique thing about with my business. The fact that Rex introduced me to sort of the top of the heat. Um, You know, a lot of times you got to start at the bottom and work your way up. Well, luckily, I got to start at the top and let it trickle down. So when I got involved with Hendrick and I helped started developing their race seat their competitive carbon fiber race seat with uh Rex and a bunch of people from Hendrick and it developed into more and more business. And I mentioned my good friend Greg Brunelli earlier. And Greg, a few years before I did my business, he had started stock for steel. He had this idea of, you know, supporting the race teams again at more convenience to them. Well Greg was distributing steel and aluminum. He already knew a lot of these, um, developed a lot of relationships with the purchasing agents and whatnot. So, of course, with my relationship with Greg and people like Mike and the word just spreads. And then my business just grew. And before, you know, and I was supplying, you know, race car products in that in NASCAR to all of the teams. Um, and Greg, as a matter of fact, used to deliver a lot of my products in his trucks. I would load up the front of his trucks with carbon fiber parts. He was already going to the race shops. He would deliver steel, aluminum, and everything else. And then also they would unload all my carbon fiber parts to the teams at the same time.
1: Well, there it's you convenient. go. Got got the delivery. It's like having into. your own Amazon guy. <laughs> yeah, Greg Greg Frinelli and stock car steel
3: man. It was like sweet. Yeah. And when and and working in my garage, yeah, I worked in my garage at home doing this for about a year, or better. It, explain
2: explain the looks of the garage. Two car garage, one car, three car deep, wide little little. 2,000 square foot house in Cornelius,
3: two car garage, obviously you could only fit one in it with me and the other half. And I, at the time I would work Mike at my normal job. And I told my company that I was going to do it, told them I was going to work on in my sideline time on my own business. And they were fine with it, which they even actually supported it because they allowed me to use some materials. I was able to use equipment at the shop and so on and so forth. So I would come home after work. I'd work, you know, 7.30 to 8 o'clock at night at my normal job because I ran – basically the whole facility there i was in charge of the engineering department and i did all the process engineering on the floor to make sure all the products were built to spec before we shipped sailboat spars out
2: all
1: over the world so then i so did seven
2: seven thirty date that was a part-time job then
1: right right yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and then you come home <laughs> you have said, a little something to eat you know and then you're out in the garage for said, the rest of the that's a hell of a long well, day you said seven and, thirty eight i'm looking
2: at jeff's face 30. and it's like
1: is this guy it, nuts? that's like a long, <laughs> long, long darn time there you know very no no, successful I had to
3: do it I did it every day because you know at the spark company we had two real design engineers myself and a gentleman named Bruce Thompson who lived in New Zealand. So Bruce and I did all the design and engineering work for the sailboat company. He was obviously in a different time zone than me so we had, 24 hour engineering going on. I worked during the daytime and when he'd come in at four I'd, at four o'clock in the afternoon, we'd touch base. I'd say these are the things I need done. He would work through the evening and then that's how we developed sailboat spars. And when I'd come home from work, I would grab a quick bite in the kitchen, go out in the garage, and I'd work. And I kid you not, Mike, I worked every day till probably eight thirty, nine o'clock at night, till two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. Um, my neighbors used to give me a little bit of crap about it because I had a little, you know, Sears compressor sitting outside my damn garage, and you know, and running. Like, what's this guy doing hand-pools? till two thirty in the morning?
1: I think he's making yeah. meth. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that yeah. Yeah. that running, was before meth was made. Right? at two thirty
3: in the morning, you know. And, um, but I did it every day for a year. I'm not every day. My wife was also working and it was kind of when at the point where it got to, I was growing enough that I knew I could make the transition. I worked with my company. My company knew that they, that I wanted to chase my goals and my dreams. I knew that if I just worked for them for the rest of my life, I'd never attain you know, the, the the freedoms that I wanted to and the creativity of the things I did want to design. So they worked with me. They laid me off and I through unemployment. I, my goal at that time, I made $333 a week. And I told my wife, I said, if I can generate enough business to make $333 a week, then we can survive. And she had a job. And it was kind of funny, though, because all of a sudden, when I started my business on my own, when I left the spar company and then I was working a hundred percent in the garage she'd get up in the morning and have to go to work and I'd go well I don't really have to go anywhere so I, I could go out in the garage and work in my shorts and whatever, <laughs> right. and take a break when yeah. I want. She's like, "Wait a minute! There's something wrong with this.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the way the deal was planned
1: no. to be here. You were supposed to work all the time." That's right. right. And if you're so, going to work in your underwear, put some curtains up on those windows. Good God, man! <laughs> well, the sad part about
3: it, it wasn't even any windows in the garage. Okay,
1: so there's no daylight.
3: <laughs> yeah, so you didn't know you didn't know if it was day or night. I just I just worked all the time. I. I think, too, if you, if you ask a lot of people in the industry, and I'll tell you what really set me apart in the NASCAR world. i developed, and that's how I have so many close friends in this industry, is because we just, you know, we really cared about each other. It was not so much a business relationship. It was more of a, a dedicated, motivated, and loyal relationship. And when they gave me the opportunities, they're like, look, we need this developed, built, manufactured, and I got to have it back by this date. And I, I will stand to this day right now. And if you, it's a lot more difficult now, but back in that day, you can ask any one of those purchasing guys. If I didn't, if I always made the date, it didn't matter if I had to stay up three days in a row, four days in a row, there was no way I was missing that date. And with that, dedication and devotion to making sure that these guys got what they got. They believed in me and they stood behind me and they wanted to use me to do the work. I'll tell you a quick story. Chad Ganaus, as we fast forward in the NASCAR world, um, you know, some of the teams and especially with the downturn in 2008, um, you know, it was a big hit for everybody's sponsorship teams. They started bringing a little bit of manufacturing in house to where they could help control and they thought maybe they could control costs Till they really got involved in doing it and realized what in the hell have we done trying to do this on our own. Um, because, you know, when I sell parts to a NASCAR team, they only buy good product. If I have a part that fails or I have scrap or whatnot, I had to eat it and that's something they probably didn't think about and but I had a story one time Chad Genaust they had their own shop that was building parts and Mark Horz a great friend of mine we help each other a lot to this day and they had a lot of work that they were doing so they were overrun Chad said look he said I need this dashboard built he said um, I'm calling Hans and he said and he Chad called me and he said Hans I know that if I give you this program one it'll be right and two, I will get it when I need it. And I told him, I said, well, that's fine, Chad. I said, I said I'll said i do it for you. You know I will. We've been friends a long time. I said, you know I'll do it for you. But after the fact, I want to keep the, the part for the life of the program, meaning I don't want to do all the hard work, get it all done for you, and then you take it and go do it in-house. He said, you got my word, and to this day, I still build that same desk that Ted came to me, and of course, I got it done. I got it done on time, delivered it, and that made a big name for myself, and that's why these guys have always been really loyal to me.
2: Well, that's outstanding, and, and again, everyone in the race industry, Jeff and I were talking about this before the show started, I said, Hans's name is not common to the race fan, but within the industry, everybody knows him, or knows of him, so uh,
1: that explains how, how you've created that relationship. Now, the average race fan has no idea all this stuff goes on behind the scenes you know what i mean which i think is really cool because the average race fan is listening right now and they're going wow you know all they do is sit there in the stands and complain about the car not going fast and and then they blame the driver okay sucks (laughs) oh yeah
3: well if they actually knew what went into it to think of how they can put it together from building the car, staying out of trouble, not getting in an accident, every part work, everything function as planned to then win a race. I mean, Mike, you've done it for a long time, so you know very well it takes everything to fall into place to be very successful at that level.
2: W- without a doubt. Question, we got three about three minutes left in this break, and I want to give you the whole time to, to explain if it can be done or not. I've listened to you explain the engineering background you have and how you're – companies develop but I know your company's pretty good size right now can can an average person fit into that business sector in some way say can Mike Wallace come and learn how to do carbon or can my next door neighbor how, is that available even
3: yes and and here's the thing we that's one of the biggest pushes we have right now I mean we everybody understands what's going on in the world we don't understand all the reasons why behind it, but I'm telling you, labor is the biggest problem for every manufacturer right now in any industry. Um, we train with, with, from within. I mean, I've hired people that have had ex- experience in carbon fiber and or in composites and a lot of times it's harder to train that individual because they're fixed in their ways so really as an employee all i'm looking for is somebody that's honest dedicated will give you a hundred percent effort every day will want to become part of a team i mean you know from the racing side people are successful because they function as a team they work together they don't work against each other. And, you know, some of this younger generation, we need them to step up to, to understand that they got to be part of something. That means you got to be there every day. Well, A guy asked me the other day, his son was turning 18. He said, what advice would you give my son if you could give him advice in one word? And I said, show up. And what that means is <laughs> not just show up. That doesn't mean just show up to the job. It means show up mentally, show up physically, show up on time, show up with the right attitude and the right motivations, because those are the people we're looking for. We can teach anybody how to do it and teach them to the level. And some will have skills in some areas of the business. And some may have better skills at other areas of the business. The cool thing about it is if they come in and I train somebody to be a laminator, to, to how to lay up carbon fiber. And if they are really good at it, then they'll, they'll just take it and run with it. If they don't quite pick it up, then we move them to, say, a different department to so where they can still be successful. The people that understand it and can see the forest for the trees have been with me for a long time, and the company continues to grow. They've always paid more money. They get you know retirement benefits. They have medical. So all these things help their lives. So most of the time I tell folks the only person who's going to get in your way of being successful is yourself.
2: Well, you got one minute to tell everybody how to get in touch with you. Then we're going to come back and talk about all your other racing endeavors. But I'm intrigued by the ability. How do they get a hold of you?
3: Um, You can reach out on our website at www.debotech.com. You can call the uh, office, which is located at 130 Enfield Court in Mooresville, North Carolina. And the phone number is 704-664-1361.
1: All right. Having said that, we'll head to break. We're talking to a very hardworking and dedicated Hans DeBoe, founder of DeBoe Tech Inc. Apparently, he doesn't need much sleep either, Mike. You're (laughs) listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast (laughs) Network, presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. You're listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance, and repair. Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. We're talking to Hans DeBow, founder of DeBow Tech Inc. When you look up that name online, the common theme. Uh, seems to be U.S. the U.S. bobsled team. So a lot of these carbon fiber parts and whatnot, obviously Hans, uh, they are using in the U.S. bobsled team uh, construction of those sleds and whatnot. So let's uh, let's head there. Here's here's Mike once again.
2: Well, Hans, uh, you know as Jeff mentioned, uh, I know it from being in the industry, but I believe you and Jeff Bodine got together, or Jeff got with you. However, it is, but you guys turned the U.S. bobsled team into a winning organization. Can, can you take us from there? I mean, how you even got involved in it and how, how the success came?
3: Yes. Uh, well, obviously, everybody's very familiar with Jeff and Jeff Bodine's name and his legacy in NASCAR. It was uh, kind of a unique way is how it all got with the NASCAR family and myself and Jeff. And Jeff started it, really, because he got invited. They invited a bunch of NASCAR drivers to go and experience riding in a bobsled. So they showed up at this NASCAR bobsled U.S. riding adventure thing, and they all did it. And Jeff simply asked a question. He said, well, where do you all get your equipment that you compete with in the world stage? And their answer was that they bought it all from their competitors. So Jeff said, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You're competing against all these folks in the world, and you're buying the equipment from your competitors, and they said, yeah. And you, and you wonder why you're not winning. <laughs> so so Jeff thought, well, the first thing we've got to do is we've got to build an American true blue bobsled ourselves. So he, in his racing days, um, worked with a company called Chassis Dynamics. Chassis Dynamics owned by a gentleman named Bob Cuneo. Bob Cuneo was very, very well known in the racing industry, chassis engineer, very smart engineer, again, back to the engineering world. Very smart individual. So they took it on to say, hey, let's let's start trying to help these bobsled guys. And so Bob Cunio and Jeff Bodine got together and they started developing their own chassis and their own things. And It took all the way up. My first run at doing a bobsled was just by chance. Because of my background in racing and doing the composite stuff in the racing world, a driver, bobsled driver, came to me, and he asked me if I would build him a bobsled. His name was Bruce Rosselli. Bruce Rosselli was a good friend of uh, uh, Tony George, the owner of the Indianapolis Speedway, And, of course, big into indie racing and, of course, a composite name. And I had some customers and things I dealt with in Indianapolis, Riley Technologies. So those names just got kind of spread around. And Bruce Roselli came to me and asked me if I'd build a bobsled. I, I don't know anything about bobsled. I know a lot about race cars and a lot about building race car bodies and road racing and whatnot. So I said, what the hell? It's the American way. Um, let's build a bobsled. I love I'm a patriot and I love the United States. Let's see if we can do it. So I built this bobsled again, working 24 hours a day, basically trying to hit a development. Of course, the second uh, sentence out of any person that comes up is goes, well, I don't really have a lot of money. So we did this. Everybody uses that line, huh? I thought it was just me. Yeah. Everybody (laughs) uses that. Hey, I really got this great idea, but I don't have a lot of money. (laughs) And but we were able to do it and this and Randy LaJoy, Randy was one of your old co racers. Yeah. And LaJoy introduced me to Bob cuneo at the PRI show up in Indy one year and he said, Hans is a great composite guy. You need to let him be working with you guys in this bobsled deal. So fast forward to two thousand two, two thousand two Salt Lake City Games. This gentleman, Bruce Rosselli, shows up at the games with this brand-new bobsled. So my bobsled, of course, we didn't paint it. We didn't, It came straight out of the mold, exposed carbon fiber, split weave. We did inlay graphics at USA, did all kinds of unique stuff to it. It showed up, and it caught a lot of attention. And Bob Cuneo called me between the second and third run on Saturday from the Olympics in Salt Lake and said, Hans, this bobsled is a work of art. I need you to start working with us. So that's how I got involved with Bob and and Jeff Bodine, started developing componentry pieces, seating technology, environment stuff, uh, structural components in bobsleds until we went in 2010 in Vancouver and won the gold medal for four man after 48 years of
2: competition. Man, what, what an incredible feeling that had to be. I mean, uh, uh, tell us that. What did that feel like? Well, I was sitting
3: at home. I was sitting at home with my family in 2002. We were watching the Olympics because I was like, maybe I'll get to see this bobsled. And then the phone rings and it's Bob Cunio. So, I'm like, wow, you know, somebody's actually paid recognition to it. And then the fact of leading up to 2010, It uh, you should watch the video, Mike. If you can find the link for it, you'll find the link for it. It is the most amazing deal. Steve Holcomb and um, Kurt Tomasevich, as a matter of fact, Kurt Tomasevich was just in my shop the other day, and some of my folks were holding the gold medal from 2010 and a silver medal from 2014, Sochi. So winning medals and watching these athletes, because I'll be honest, these athletes do it out of pure desire. It's not money. They all are on shoestring budgets. Half of them have GoFundMe accounts to afford to be a competitor for the U.S. Olympics. I don't really understand it. Our government should get behind this a lot better. I mean, the, the, the Germans... German government puts in 30 million euro as a budget for their sliding sports
1: there's a lot of um, things that our government should do that uh, they don't do and there's a lot of things our government does that they shouldn't do you know what I mean so yeah you can go on and on about that all day
3: but it uh it's amazing to see the the camaraderie the dedication and man I'm telling you that's That victory just set the bar, and we've really never looked back. Unfortunately, we had a big loss. Uh, Now I think it's about five years, six years ago. Um, Steve Holcomb, he suffered from sleep apnea a bit, and basically something happened. He passed away in his sleep. So we lost the best bobsled driver in the entire world. He was a mentor to the team. He was a phenomenal, humble, wonderful gentleman, coach, for everybody we're true inspiration so we've been in a real big building here um, and building uh time to uh build up these new drivers pilots and whatnot in the industry we're trying to work with um uh kurt tomasevich is now in charge of uh trying to do local recruiting i've got him hooked up with one of my old i was a four-year soccer scholarship uh uh athlete in college i played four years at in charlotte before i went to nc state and i've got him hooked up with one of my old uh, athletic marketing directors and we're trying to you know develop and get a lot of athletes to come out and, and and hit these combines and help develop some more u.s olympians
2: so i'm intrigued by this right now so are you telling me that most of these bobsled programs are run independently of the United States government or the United States Bobs guys like how we grew up racing. We were just race car drivers and wanted to do it. So we spent our own money and our own effort. Is that kind of how that's working? That is kind of the case. The U, The U.S.
3: Bobsled Federation will have a budget. They will provide the teams with with a certain amount of money. But it a lot of times is nowhere near what it needs to be, especially Mike. You know, when you get into engineering development research, I mean, in the technology today, we're working with another local company, Corvid Technologies, and my good friend Cameron Dempster and David Robinson and whatnot. And they do a lot of the CFD work, comp- computational fluid dynamics in analysis of the aero performance of the body shape so these types of things are are primarily donated right i mean corvid provides uh horsepower i pretty much donate most of the work that we do to support our team so yeah it comes from private funding private companies to bring their expertise you know it's kind of like you you get involved and and you got the bug and you can't really let go of it because it's definitely not money driven for sure
1: So we just Googled um, Bruce Rosselli's bobsled 2002. That's a cool-looking sled. So are you still involved with the U.S. bobsled team? So at the next example, at the next Winter Olympics, are you going to have sleds competing?
3: Yes, sir. We are in heavy development right now. We are uh, revamping um, BMW. (laughs) That's another kind of interesting story. but. BMW became one of the sponsors for say the Olympics and they sponsored some of the things for BMW backed um, technology and whatnot in building a two-man bobsled. So BMW in North America, of course, you have BMW AG, which is headquartered in Germany. Of course, the Germans and the Americans have always been heavily competitive in bobsled to each other. They're naturally always competing for medals. Um, and in leading up to 2014, BMW came on board. BMW was the sponsor. We did a BMW design. They came up with the shape of the bobsled. Of course, we built it. We, we did everything, all the engineering, all the layups, all the technical side of manufacturing this bobsled. And in 2014, we went to Sochi and basically waxed everybody. We beat We beat all, the Americans won medals. I also do it for skeleton. And in 2014 in Sochi, we won medals in every event. We won two-man bobsled in men's, two-man bobsled in women's, um, women's skeleton, men's skeleton. Thing is, the Germans failed the medal. So uh, BMW uh, AG Germany was highly pissed off at BMW Mm -hmm. USA because the usa team with the help of bmw beat their home country
1: (laughs) hey hans did they think we were cheating
3: (laughs) well (laughs) if if you ain't if you ain't bending outside the rules a little you ain't winning
2: (laughs) man that's incredible that's a that's a great story and it's it's wonderful that you're staying involved from your own personal side and business side. And then, basically, we just need to help find some sponsors for that program, don't we? Some big-money people to jump in and support the, the teams. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Well, this year and this one coming up for 2026, we will be developing brand-new 2 men sleds, basically coming straight out of Mooresville, right, between – the uh he's a dutchman who is the lead mechanic technical advisor for u.s bobsled um he's he, mark is a, a dutchman by nationality Him himself myself doing all the composite side of the business mark will handle all the chassis side of the business and cameron dempster and Corvette technology is doing all of the aero cfd shape design aspects of it so it will be a local mooresville true blue made in the usa Race city usa bobsled and hopefully we can bring it on home in 26
1: man that's exciting and it's worthy of a road sign you know welcome to mooresville north carolina right now it says Race city usa or something like that Bob's, home of the usa bobsled i would team. think that'd be outstanding that would uh, be cool yeah. so
2: so well, we'll- there's a big
3: they're building right now they're building a huge olympic center in charlotte i think the belt uh, family was involved in it. Um, That's why Kurt was in town. They're building a huge futuristic uh, physical Olympic training center in Charlotte right now in preparation for leading into the, uh, into the U S development for athletes in any industry. So even in this podcast, you know, they're looking for athletes, these people that come out of college D one schools that may play football Track and field, whatever that may not be going on to some professional career. Don't hesitate to think about maybe hitting a bobsled or skeleton combine. You never know; you could be holding a gold medal in your hand one day.
1: That'd be pretty cool because I don't, you know, in the past, you know, a lot of these guys—not necessarily the driver, but the guy that pushes the bobsled or the guy—you know what I mean—they're they're former athletes, they're football players. They're—I mean, they're they're in great shape. Herschel Walker, exactly. Yeah. You know? You see the legs, the size of the legs on Herschel Walker? My God. That's incredible.
2: Well, I'm excited. That was a that's was a fun segment. I didn't think I thought we'd lead into about a minute or two. It was did cool whole-
1: and it would apparently uh uh Debotech Inc. has irons and other fires as well we can talk about that in next segment
2: once you, you take us away and we'll come back and talk about new once again irons. we'll
1: pump the brakes we're talking to hans deboe founder of DeBeau Tech inc you're listening to fast car to nascar with mike wallace on the speed sport podcast network presented by Crosley and nascar digital media Welcome back to the Crosley Speed Sports Studios. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We're brought to you today by Brady Mechanical Services, HVAC install, maintenance and repair, Brady Mechanical Service at gmail.com. We're talking to Hans DeBow. He is the founder of DeBow Tech, Inc. We've talked racing. We've talked bobsleds. There are irons in other fires. Aerospace, as we mentioned in uh, in the intro, civil engineering, military. It is, after all, military appreciation month. Mike, take it away. Well, I can just lead off of
2: what Jeff just said. Hans, you lead us. You got any new things happening outside of the race world that you, you can disclose or uh, everything top secret?
3: <laughs> no, no. We uh, we pretty try to stay pretty open about it. It is it is unique in the composites industry. You know, there's so many fields. A lot of people ask me what's one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done in, in composites. And I get people call me. You know, we laughed about it earlier. I get people call me and go, hey, I got this idea. Uh, I don't have a lot of money, but I am interested in building this. Can you help me? And I've always been one to kind of jump at the attitude that if you don't try it, you just never know. And I work with a a, a doctor. He's a veterinarian surgeon out in uh, Houston. And he came to me and he wanted to uh, help dogs. So you know, animals that have might have a traumatic injury, birth injury, you know, three legs instead of four. So one of the projects we've been working on for the past five years or so is building prosthetics for dogs. So it's quite rewarding if you've ever seen a dog smile. That's um, kind of irreplaceable to take a three-legged animal that doesn't really like to get around much to build a prosthetic and uh, put him on a uh, carbon fiber leg and watch this dog run like he never lost his leg in the first place is pretty unique where um, we try to take all of that kind of mentality towards anything we do. I'm working with a group right now out of Cincinnati. As a matter of fact, Grant Schaffner was also involved in skeleton with us for many years and we're working on a program. I've done a lot in the military side of things, not only doing DOD work, on aircraft, but as well, we're doing and working on some potential um, life-saving, life assistance um, ideas for the actual soldier. So whether it be in regards to splints or um, you know protection, I've done a lot of body armament in my day. I did a quite a bit of um, ballistics and ballistic integral. Um, programs as well in, in protection, not only in vehicles, but as well in uh, the, the soldiers themselves.
2: So you just never know what
3: you're really going to get involved in.
2: Here, I thought we were going to talk about simple carbon fiber in race cars.
1: That's where you were wrong. I told you at the beginning of the show this was going to be educational. Yeah, look at you now.
2: like You're I'm, smarter I'm, than you were an hour ago. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it's like all the things. And Wow, congratulations, Hans. But, so... I need to jump back to our core bit, our core show, which is racing, and but what an incredible story! And we're going to—I want you to plug your company again towards the end of this, because I think there's somebody out there listening who wants to come and do the type of work you're doing or be involved with you, but. We talked about the early days of NASCAR racing, brake ducts, still building dashboards for Hendrick Motorsports. But I'd be remiss if people didn't know that you're really, really involved in road racing or were highly involved in road racing. Tell us a little bit about that, because we just came off of Road America this past weekend, and uh, that was a fun deal. Tell us what you do in the road race world
3: well it is you know it is kind of a whole synergy deal it's funny how things move in circles when i I used to do a lot of work again bill and bob riley are very good friends of mine very well known in the road racing world very successful and talk about a brilliant engineer um, in developing chassis and whatnot and um, Bill and Bob Riley were interested. They were supporting uh, Robert Yates in the day and helping them with road race chassis. And they really wanted to try to move into doing more uh, stuff in NASCAR. And I said, well, look, you're going to have to get out of Indy, man. You ain't going to do no NASCAR up in Indy. You need to move down to Mooresville. And, and I said, you know, why don't we work together, figure something out? So they thought it was a great idea. And I was an integral partner to them in helping them put together the plan and basically they relocated. I bought my wife and I bought a piece of land and built a building right in uh, Talbert Point business park. And right next door, Bill and Bob Riley bought a land and built a building. We became basically partners. So I started building a hundred percent of all their carbon fiber work, helped them in their NASCAR endeavors. And then of course I helped them build all of their road race cars. And one of the big uh, programs was in the IMSA what they're the WeatherTech series now, um, and we built all the Daytona prototypes. Basically, we did all the engineering side by side, next door to each other, and walked the parts across the parking lot. They built race cars and off the road racing. It went, but I've I've done road racing all the way up into the Le Mans series and some Formula One parts back in the day. And uh, road racing has always been my heritage. Um, it's really what I was raised on. My father was a 6- tw- and 12-hour endurance race driving streetcar BMWs. And um, so as a kid, I always went to the uh, Camel GT Weather Tech Series style of racing my whole life. And that's really what got me interested in it. And, you know, my father was integral in everything I've always done. He, he always said, look, if you're going to be involved in work, work's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of time. You might as well do something you enjoy so luckily i can say every job i've ever had i really have enjoyed
2: well that's outstanding hey help me over this past weekend because i am intrigued by uh carbon and strength and i'm sure you've seen a i am sure you have seen I do not know if you've seen it jeff or not there was a big upside down wreck at the first lap of the formula one race where George Russell turned a car. The gentleman got upside down and ended up, and they all, sh- everybody continues to say the halo saved them. Is the halo on a Formula One car? Is that a, a carbon or a composite-type material, or is that made out of something else?
3: Yes, it's carbon fiber. As a matter of fact, the Formula One car is 100% carbon. Well, carbon and alternative materials also uh, intermixed with kevlar's Kevlar is another woven fabric. It's obviously on the ballistic side, so it's penetration resistance. But the unique and this is the this is the true engineering behind a Formula One race car. Very high strength to weight, very lightweight, but also. The ability of carbon fiber, like when you see a carbon fiber car in an accident, you see it immediately start to shed parts and it disintegrate. And what that means is as those parts are shed from the car, it's dissipating energy. So the more G-load energy that can be dissipated away from the driver, the safer the environment it is. So they build what they call a monocoque chassis, which is basically like a cocoon all out of carbon, it's got structural honeycomb cores in it and and whatnot that surrounds this driver almost like a missile capsule. And everything else on the car is basically disposable. So when they're in an accident, the things fly off of it. The wheels go by, by, the suspension goes by, the engines come off, everything goes away. And as that comes off of the car, it takes energy with it. So the, all that's left is, of course, the cocoon that the driver is in, and as long as it holds up to, to the uh, impacts, which they're seeing godly amounts of G-load in their crashes, drivers are getting up and walking away from it. So it is an engineering feat in itself, and it's done all with composites.
2: E equals MC squared, Mike. E equals MC squared. <laughs> is that like redneck? That's ne- the only thing I can think Redneck style is E equals results or E equals R? Is that how that works? Energy equals mass times the speed of light squared. Really? Yeah. <laughs> See... Uh as we get into I'm these cheating. high-topic discussions, Jeff Googles things as we're talking, and he comes up with
1: these incredibly educational it's the only. It's the
2: only thing I could think of. Yes. That's, that's my yeah.
1: contribution to the show. You're welcome.
2: <laughs> well, thanks for answering about the F1 thing. So as you, you're famous in the industry. You're good friends with everybody. Everybody enjoys hanging out with you. And, and I'd be remiss because I really want someone to know, again, about how to come be part of your companies, take a minute or two and tell us that. And then we'll come back and finish a couple things here.
3: Well, like I said, we're just looking for, you know, and one of the biggest things we're involved in now, and I'll hit on that real quick is we're the primary and main source into General Motors. So we provide all the carbon fiber for the majority of the carbon fiber for the Corvettes. We're working on a big Cadillac program currently so your brand-new C8 Corvettes. I know, Mike, you're a proud owner of one yourself. Um, all of these. Uh, yeah,
2: components- and he, he wouldn't give me carbon pieces for nothing. I told him I didn't have any money.
1: <laughs> well, it didn't work. It didn't work. That, <laughs> he doesn't believe you. I would,
0: I, I would
3: give them to you. The problem is that GM invests all the money, and it might not be good for business <laughs> yeah. if I'm giving away their product. But they, <laughs> um, they're they a huge um, part of my business, OEM ma- Automotive Manufacturing is not for the faint of heart, um, but we are involved. We're the only ones in the world building the components that we build. We're out there building them every day and supporting General Motors in their endeavors for some really unique American-made automotive industry. Um, we're just looking for really you know people that see the big picture, know that it takes hard work. My dad always told me, nothing in life. Is easy. Nothing good comes easy and there are no free rides. So if we just get some folks, we're looking to hire on a lot more people. We're we're building our second shift right now. Um, that we just want some good dedicated gearheads that want to be part of a team and come help build the American dream. They can find a wonderful place to do it at Debotech. Again, they can find us online at ww.debotech.com. A phone number seven oh four. Or 1361 they can catch us up on facebook uh instagram Carbon uh, hans blog that kind of thing just yeah please uh please part of a great team
1: cutting out a little bit there uh hans but uh debotech.com d-e-b-o-t-e-c-h.com is the website it's very cool it's got some cool stuff on here so but, i
2: gotta ask just showing me these things what do you do for the motorcycle world you make a few components in the motorcycle world dirt bike world or something um,
3: Yep, have for years, too. We did a lot with Eric Buell, doing the Buell motorcycles. We've done stuff for Harley. I did a lot for uh, a lot of aftermarket. Aftermarket was a huge part of our business in Ducatis and uh, Kawasaki ZX-12s. Done a lot over the years. I mean, really, um, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, Denny Hamlin came one time. when Remember, he broke his back. And they gave him a prosthetic for his back support made out of plastics and whatnot. Greg called me and said, hey, man, can you help Denny? I said, sure. So we built his carbon fiber back brace that he wore in his racing for when he had his broken back. We built it all out of carbon fiber. So it really doesn't matter what it is. If you can dream it up, we can build it, and we want to be part of it. And, um, you know, we just just look, looking for a lot of great people to come help grow the business. We're going to continue to grow. We've got more and more demand every day in all sorts of avenues, and we just want to keep growing it as best we can.
2: Well, Jeff Kent, what do you think? If you want to build parts for a helicopter, for a dirt bike, you a road race car. You need to talk car, to
1: Hans DeBoe. And I'm telling you, DeboTech.com. it's a cool website. It's got their mission, testimonials, all the things they're involved in. Very cool. Makes me want to enroll at NC State University. I'm just saying.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, Hans, great school. My, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fortunate uh, father as well. My daughter is entering into her senior year at uh, NC State University, so they do churn out some good people.
2: Well, you're, you're a hell of a good guy very smart very uh bright very uh, likable and uh i love the bobsled story i'm glad to hear that we're uh you're continuing to help the usa win gold medals and um, all the good things you're turning out and i bet you're you probably even got a little bit of vacation figured out you're probably sitting on the beach somewhere with your feet up as we're talking aren't you
3: well i'm on vacation with my family <laughs> and my daughter and son and all their friends and we've got a We got a house full of about 16. So, good We're going to enjoy ourselves.
2: Well, you you sit around later tonight when uh, Jeff Kent drops this incredible show on the world and you you tell him you were all talking about him. The whole world is listening,
1: Hans. Just saying.
3: Well, I really appreciate the opportunity, guys. It's been a sheer pleasure. Um, Mike, always a pleasure. I look forward to seeing you when I see you. Jeff, don't be a stranger. You guys are welcome to come see the shop someday. I think you'll
1: be blown away. That sounds awesome. We've been talking to Hans DeBoe, founder of Debeau Tech Inc. You've been listening to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the SpeedSport Podcast Network presented by Crosley and NASCAR Digital Media. We'll see you next week.